Today we're reading Acts 4, 32 through 5, 11. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land of houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it to the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized over all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for showing us your endless love and strength. I pray for our entire congregation and community during this time. I pray that they look to you and put their faith in you so that they can receive hope during a time where many are struggling. God, thank you for giving us an amazing community that has come together in your name to help each other out with the damage from our storm. We can take this storm as a reminder to not focus on worldly things, but instead know that God is all we truly need. I also want to pray for Pastor Mike that the Holy Spirit is within him as he preaches this message. Make him a vessel for the good news you want us to hear. Amen. So, here we are, August 23rd, in the chapel at Carnegie. You know, before this summer, we used to smile when we said, when we make plans, God laughs. That's kind of like 2020, isn't it? We kind of stopped laughing, though. But I will tell you this, the church is a body, and a body is meant to be together, and I yearn for that day, and I know our church staff and our leaders yearn for that day. I miss being with you desperately, and the day will come. But Derecho and COVID has delayed our reemergence as a worshiping congregation that gets together in the church again, and we will be joining again, though, soon. September 13th, we're sure we'll have power by then at 8.15 and 10.15, We'll worship live at RLC, REC Drive, and of course, we will be the church online. I know that September 13 won't be a homecoming for all of you because some of you should and will stay away from the church for your own personal safety, and we affirm that and encourage that. If you're the least bit leery, uh, do stay home. If you do come, we strongly, strongly encourage you 
uh, to wear a mask. We have shown a faithful response during Direco. Um, we have chainsaw crews out every day this week, helping people remove limbs from their homes, from their mobile homes, helping them out, putting tarps on people's homes, serving in the uh, food pantry. And I know that just yesterday, uh, which would have been Thursday, we moved Christ Communities offices and their uh, children's education wing uh, into storage for them. And I know that all of you have been reaching to your neighbors. So your sermon today starts like this. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Those are the last words that Ananias heard before he dropped dead. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Now, you know the situation because uh, Lauren read it to you just a couple moments ago that Ananias had sold a field and then gave some of the proceeds to the church, but he held some back. We don't know why, but when the disciples asked him, when Peter asked him, and it doesn't record how Peter knew that Ananias was holding some back, and it doesn't tell us why Ananias died, it just is truthful that Ananias lied to the church, and he dropped dead. And the same fellows that buried Ananias were waiting outside when his wife Sapphira came by and told the same story. So if we start with that story and say, yikes, be cautious. See, the fact of the matter is the church has always attracted people with impure motives. Those of us that lived through the 80s when televangelists after Billy Graham and after Oral Roberts blew up on our airwaves. We remember a guy named Jim Baker who was, I think, in South Carolina, somewhere down there. And he just uh, was a philanderer. He took all the people's money, uh, Huck Street built Heritage USA, and ultimately now was jailed for that. He had impure motives. He did say the words of the gospel. He did preach what the Bible says, and yet his motives were not pure. But understand this, every generation of the church has had hucksters come around trying to seek personal profit or gain power or, or prestige or something. And the lesson from that truth is that not everything was rosy in the first generation church. I mean, that's what we learned from the, from the Ananias and Sapphira story, and that that will continue to happen throughout the life of the church. Ananias owned the field. He had no pressure to give. It was his choice whether to give or not. And it was his choice to lie to the church of God. And the outcome in, in the death of Ananias and Sapphira and the fear that seized the whole church is that the church is spiritually unified and is built to understand and withstand any attack. So very simplistic pastoral message to you this morning. Spiritual unity is essential for the church to thrive. Let me say that again. Spiritual unity is essential for the church to thrive. Spiritual unity is simply, simply grounded in a shared belief in Christ. We believe corporally, all Christians everywhere, that the second person of the Trinity, which is Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, before uh, creation was formed, was there with the, with the Trinity and became present in the creation of the world, gives up everything heavenly. He walks away from everything that's heavenly, descends to earth, descends to earth as a man. He's the only man that ever created his own mother. He fulfilled every prophecy about himself, including giving sight to the blind, words to the mute, dancing to the lame, hope for the brokenhearted, that we all might know God. This is the shared belief in Christ. 
that we might know God, that Jesus faced every human temptation, that he stood against the tyrannical religious leaders of his days, that he was humiliated, beaten, stripped, hung on a cross to die the most brutal human death, and then was raised from the tomb to physically live again, and promises the same to every single one of us here, now, in the future, that believe in him and stake our lives on him. You see, he was raised from the dead to physically live again and promises the very same, the resurrection to each one of us, if we live, believe, and stake our life on him. To be a Christian, and don't miss this, because some groups call themselves church and don't believe all these things. To believe, to be a Christian, we must believe these things. We must share these beliefs among us. That's where spiritual unity begins. And spiritual unity embraces each person as a unique and valuable creation of God. You know, during these Iowa winters, way back into the Arctic vortex and before, one of my winter pastimes is to uh, uh, do puzzles down in the basement. We have our uh, secondary dining room table down there, or as we call it, the grandchild table, where the kids get to go down and eat their Thanksgiving dinner. But down there, I'll spread out a puzzle, and I love making puzzles because, first of all, it's just uh, a little bit solitary, it's a little bit quiet, nobody's calling me. But one thing I've learned about puzzles is the same thing you've learned about puzzles, is that every piece is important. And don't you hate it? And you've had this when you, when you, when you have a puzzle out for a few uh, days and you're working on it. When you get to the end and there's one or two puzzle pieces missing, you're holy crying out loud. You look at the box and there was a thousand pieces in there and you know it. And you start searching the basement. At least I've searched the basement. And then something silly happens like you look down on your sweatpants and it's stuck to you or it's underneath your slipper on the floor or something like that. But you will hunt the basement because every single piece, though they're all different in that puzzle, is valuable and unique to the whole. Such is the church. Every single piece, every single one of us, is valuable to the whole and to the unity of the church. See, when every piece is valuable, then we understand that at Marian Methodist, we think. We don't allow people to check their brains at the door. You have to think your thoughts. And Christians, I'll tell you this. When we think, we often have different opinions. And if you ever come upon a church that doesn't allow different opinions... Understand that that is not the church of Christ because God loves variety. Healthy churches find the differences of opinion to be healthful and helpful, not destructive. Let me give you a simple example. When we were going through the building process of the church we haven't worshipped in for over 20-some weeks now, there were a lot of decisions that had to be made. And for the most part, the building committee was all of one mind about how we might decorate the church, how the church might look. It wasn't easy. It was, it was sometimes difficult. But I remember one of the most important good decisions we made is that we were presented by our vendor tables for the center. And they were dark walnut-looking tables. For Micah, like we have, but dark walnut. And of course, most of us, and I'll say most of the men on the committee looked at our salesperson and said, oh, that'll be fine. We like them that way. But two women, Brenda and Connie, said, no, they're too dark. They're too dark for this airy room. We don't want this airy room with, with dark tables. They'll, they'll just make it look more ominous. And we went back and forth for a minute. But guess what? They were right. And thank goodness, their difference of opinion from the bulk of us convinced us to do something that we think looks way better and serves us more fruitfully. See, we need diversity of opinion thought, and person in the church. Diversity in the church should be a source of power, not a source of division. 
There is a seat at the Lord's table for every human being, everyone that's ever lived. And I will tell you, all definitely means all. No one is excluded. There's no class system in the church. There's no priority seat. And I'll tell you why I can tell you there's no priority seat. Because we have priority seat at Mary Methodist. We have nobody sitting in the front. Just kidding. You're supposed to laugh now. Okay, I'll wait for you. Spiritual unity that embraces each person as a unique and valuable creation of God means that the church, now get this, because this is a youth group, this is a youth ministry example. The church needs to look like a bag of Skittles, which means all different varieties. And the church needs to taste like it's sweet and savory, so we have both kinds of personality. It needs to sound like a symphony where every different kind of voice is heard. Spiritual unity does not cut diversity. It actually embraces this. And spiritual unity expresses itself in how we care for each other. Caring for each other within the church is very important. In fact, the early church stood out from the rest of the entire culture, from the rest of the entire world, because they cared for each other. They were known by their extensive, powerful, potent love for each other. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, because sometimes you'll hear a statement like that and saying, but we're supposed to care for the entire world. Yes, and absolutely, we are. They cared for the rest of the world. We're to care for the rest of the world. And we're to, we are, of course, to look outside and see who is hurting and help, needing help and, and losing hope. We're supposed to see them. We can't ignore them. We need to be just totally disrupted by what's going on in the world. And then we are to get outside and do that. And yet, understand the clear scriptural instructions. First, we are to care for the body of the of Christ, which is the church. We are to care for the church and to make sure the church is healthy first. We need to come to know those who share this belief in Christ because then we can work more efficiently and more effectively in the mission of the church. And I have to tell you, Marian Methodists, we're a bigger group. We have more than one worshiping setting. We have lots of different ministries going on. We need to take the time and make the effort to reach out and meet some of the people we haven't met. Now, maybe when we come back in post-COVID, we're just going to have to do elbow bumps or maybe the six-foot you know, air shake or whatever. I don't know. But so many of us need, in this larger church, need to come and reach out and take the time to try to get to know someone else. And we need to be fearless in that. I know we fear rejection, but I will tell you this. Most everyone that's ever come to Marian Methodist enjoys other people. They love being with the saints of God. So take the time and reach out to them. I had a college student when I was a chaplain down at Simpson College who would often come into groups and say to her, Hi, my eternity roommates. We always laughed at that. But she's right. If we're going to spend each other, you know, eternity with each other because of our belief in Christ, we ought to probably get to know each other right here on earth. And we'll probably be able to have more exciting adventures and missions in the heavenly kingdom. For the unity of the church... We need to pray and work for the church. We need to lean into the Lord on behalf of the leaders. Because it's a hard time always to be a leader of the church. It doesn't matter if you're the disciple Peter, whether you're a pastor, a youth minister, the discipleship director, or some other position, a Bible school leader, anything. We need to pray and lean into and work for the best of the church. We need to talk it up not down. I, I took a church once as a pastor. It was a difficult church. I'm going to tell you the truth. It was. When I went in there, 
I remember going to the cafe first week in and someone met me for the first time. I said, ah, you know, I've lived here a long time. Who are you? I told them, oh, I'm the new Methodist preacher. And they say, oh, my goodness sake. That church has a lot of dissension in it, doesn't it? And I thought to myself on the way home from that little encounter, first of all, it kind of hurt my heart because I'd moved my family and everything up there. But I knew that some of that was true. But what I knew was in that community, that when people heard, oh, there's a lot of dissension in the church, that no one was saying, oh, yay, let's go join them. Let's go to a church where there's a lot of fighting and infighting going on. That would really be fun for us. No, that's not what happens. So we need to pray for and work for the best of the church. We need to talk it up, not down. And then, of course, we need to step into ministry with the appropriate gifts and talents that we have. Be a Barnabas. Become a Barnabas. This is kind of where Barnabas is unrolled to us. He, he gave of himself. You know, he's the, an, he's the antithetical example to uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. He gave a field and laid what he had sold it for at the disciples' feet happily, joyfully. He was a giver. He gave of himself fully, and he became known as the encourager, the son of encouragement. How would you love to have that? Where everybody that comes into contact says, oh, you're an encourager. When we care for the church like that, when we step into praying for it and caring for it and, and, and seek to be encouraging, then, then we get into the mission of solving and helping solve the world's problem. Spiritual unity battles the disruption of the church. See, the isolation of COVID, that could be a church breaker, but we will not allow that happen. The destruction and, and the exhausting recovery from, from derecho, added on top of COVID, that could be a unity breaker within the church. These American political battles that we see every day, if you have, if you have TV back, yet yeah, those could be a unity breaker too. And so can sin and disappointment and personal preference and a billion other things can threaten the church of Jesus all the time, to which the healthy and spiritually unified church must say no, no, no. And this is what the church, Marian Methodist, is all about. We seek to be a spiritually unified church where sin and disappointment, where personal preferences and a billion other things that threaten the church all the time are pushed back. We say no to them. So like I started, this is a straightforward pastoral message to Marian Methodists and those who would join us. We must stay grounded in Christ. We must embrace each person as a unique and valuable creation of God. We must deeply and richly care for each other enough to know that the others care for us. We must tirelessly battle against the disruption of Christ's church. When we can individually and together say, we are the church of Jesus, and neither the gates of hell or anything else can prevail against us, we will become what we were born to be, which is the church of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh God, we long to be physically together. No one's kidding you about that anymore. It's been a long, long time. And it's filled with fits and starts. And we want to be back together. And yet, we yield to your timing, not ours. So in our physical absence from each other, let us tirelessly be your church. Unified in our shared belief, Christ has lived, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Unified in our living out the truth that each person is unique and valuable to you. Unified in our caring for each other in the church and allowing that care to reach beyond us to the hurting in our world. Unified in battling all that would try to disrupt your holy church. Lord, for a bit longer, 
we know that we cannot congregate physically. But let us with power be the church. Let nothing, COVID, Dureco, or Satan himself, get a foothold in tearing us apart. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You know, uh, we are so grateful to be part of a congregation that believes in generous giving of time, talent, and treasure. So we take a moment at the end of our service, towards the end of our service, to return our gifts joyfully, happily, holding nothing of our heart back. So I'm going to ask, would you allow Simon to bless you and you pray over and dedicate your offerings to God this morning? 